morning. Um, probably most of you don't remember, but I uh, I preached here several years ago, and I it was it was really life changing for me, uh, in the sense that after service, uh, one of you I don't even remember who it was um, came up to me and and told me that um, nearby there's a Portillo's hot dog stand. And uh, I spent, my wife's from Chicago, uh, and I spent four years there in college, and it changed my life. So I just want to know that, I want you to know that this church is very special to me. Um, So thank you for that gift. Uh, I'm a I'm a dad, we've got got two kids, and one of the joys uh, for me as a parent in the last year or so, couple months, has been watching our our boy, our oldest, uh, learn to talk, learn to communicate. Those of you who know small kids or or who maybe are parents yourself know some of the the awkwardness and, and the beauty of that, and um, it's been a real joy for me as a as a as a dad. Uh, just this week, in fact, we have a routine. Occasionally, uh, after dinner's done, uh, Papa will open up the Bible and we'll read a short passage of Scripture for as long as my son's attention span can last. And uh, He's been in this routine over the last maybe two weeks or so of, of grabbing the Bible first or grabbing a book that maybe looks like a Bible nearby the kitchen table and um, asking if he can do the reading, to which you know I'm, I'm happy to oblige and let him do that. And so just this week, in fact, he, he opened up a, a book that wasn't the Bible and began to read, and he said, Goliath came over the mountain, and he fight Jesus, and the bodies ate him up. And if you're looking for sort of any sort of sense or, uh, or reason in that, it doesn't make sense. And I chose to forego any constructive criticism of, of, that, little, of that little story and just enjoy it. Um, so, right, watching kids talk is hilarious. It's moving. It's, it can be emotional. Um, it's delightful. And one of the interesting things, at least for me, uh, as, as, a, as a pastor and as a as a follower of Jesus, is, is I find myself when we, we enter into conversation about prayer, which is really just communication, it's just honest communication before God, um, somehow, particularly I think religious people like myself, tend to drift into um, really away from kind of the childlike wonder and, uh, and, and joy and delight of prayer, and we tend to move it away from that and into the cloister. Uh, we tend to sort of sequester it off into this very religious practice. At least that's been my experience. A, a couple of things that I just want to get out of the way right at the start is, uh, you know, prayer, if you, are, if you are, and I suspect many of you religious followers of Jesus, um, pr- when I say the word prayer... I think one of the first things you're thinking is, ah, I, sh- I should be doing that, or I should be doing a little bit more than I am doing. Um, I think right when we hear the word prayer, if you're a follower of Jesus or, or religious, most of us have this overwhelming sense of guilt that we don't do this enough, that we don't maybe know how to do this. It's sort of like the uh, the exercise routine at the beginning of the year that we all say that we're going to commit to um, and then never actually pick up or it maybe goes a week or two and then, we, and then we've, we're just back to binging Netflix, right? 
Um, prayer is something like that. I, I, I've heard countless sermons and classes and lectures on prayer, and I say, gosh, I need to, I need to do that more. Then I, I, need, I need some way to start that. Um, it's also, I think, for many of us, a kind of a mysterious practice. We have a number of questions uh, revolving around prayer. It's things like, does it actually do anything? Um, if, if God is in control of the world, if he made the world, if he knows, if, if as the Bible claims, he knows the end from the beginning, what's, what's the point? We have sort of uh, questions, philosophical questions about prayer. And I think also that maybe, and maybe this is you, whether you're religious or not, maybe you're Christian or not, uh, maybe you're skeptical of, of the claims of Christianity, you have, uh, you have questions about even the spiritual impulse and whether or not this is something that really arises out of us or if it's some kind of religious crutch that people lean on. Uh, and it's something maybe you can't even relate to. You've never maybe had these particular impulses or or instincts to pray. Uh, well, as most of you know, uh, you're working through the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' central teaching. It's perhaps his most well-known. And uh, when Pastor Eric invited me to come up, I, I just said, hey, I want to stick in the series that you guys are moving through. And so this morning, where we are is Jesus, really the center of the Sermon on the Mount. If the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's, one of his central teachings one of the fullest teachings we have in the Gospels about the life and work of Jesus, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is liter- literary. It's like in its literary structure, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Lord's Prayer falls right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's, it's very central to what Jesus is doing in this sermon. And so this morning what I want to do is focus our attention really on what's happening in the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to see how uh, Jesus is really giving us a unique perspective, a unique approach to prayer, but also in, in general, our spirituality, more broadly, our spirituality. Uh, and I want to do that really in three ways. First, I want to I sh- I show us how Jesus really shows us the source of spirituality. What's the source of spirituality? And then second, the way of spirituality. How does he invite his disciples, his followers, into a way of spirituality? And then third, what's the key to a flourishing spirituality? What's the key to it all? So the source of spirituality, the way of spirituality, and Jesus' key to flourishing spirituality. Well, it, Albert read the passage, and he, he read a little bit, um, a, a few verses before the Lord's Prayer, which is one of the most well-known of Jesus' teachings, the Lord's Prayer. It's perhaps one of the most quoted um, pieces of writing in all of history. Uh, Christians for thousands of years have been saying this, some daily, some multiple times a day. Uh, But Albert read a little bit before uh, when Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer. And really, in in verses... verses, um, five through nine, what Jesus is really doing is he's setting up his own kind of spirituality in contrast to things that you might find in the world, uh, things you might find in the culture. Jesus is really making a contrast between two different kinds of spirituality. 
Uh, Notice what he says. He contrasts what he's teaching his disciples with both the spirituality of what he calls the hypocrites and then secondly, the spirituality of what he calls the Gentiles, that is, the nations, uh, the people who were not um, ethnically and religiously um, Jewish. And the first kind of spirituality he talks about is really a spirituality of, of posturing. That's what he's talking about when he talks about the prayers of hypocrites. What he's essentially saying is there are, there are spiritualities um, that are in existence, that exist in our own hearts, that want to be seen by other people. In a sense, that want to craft a self-image around our religiosity. And people do this for a number of reasons. They do this because it's, um, it's culturally acceptable. They do this because it allows them to look moral and upright in the, lo- in the eyes of other people. And what Jesus is essentially saying is that kind of a spirituality is a, is a spirituality of posturing. Those are prayers of posturing, putting yourselves in a position in which you can be seen and you can craft a self-image as somebody who's morally upright, who's religious, who's upstanding. Uh, this is, I mean, this is what you see often in the media with, um, right, with politicians who, um, whose track record or whose sort of private moral life has nothing to do with anything that's religious or spiritual, and then at the end of a speech, they might say something to the effect of God bless America, right? It's sort of, it's, it's acceptable and, it, it, and it's, it's designed to make them look um, spiritual in, in the eyes of the public, right? But there's another kind of spirituality as well. And, and this, is, this is what I'm calling a, a, a spirituality or a prayer of performance. Jesus says in verse 7, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. These are prayers. This is a spirituality of performance. It's all about technique. It's all about getting in the right, uh, saying the right words, doing the right things in order to appease or impress um, some kind of deity, uh, some kind of God or higher power. And this is not far removed from us uh, today, right? There are a number of, uh, of of religions and spiritualities and techniques designed to create in us uh, inner peace or well-being or connection with the divine, right? Um, we, we have friends who practice these things. We have uh, neighbors, I'm sure, co-workers who, who are interested by these things, um, right? Spirituality is not just for the religious. We're all, in some sense, attracted by these techniques uh, and, Jesus, and Jesus, notice what he's saying. He's saying, don't pray like this. Don't pray with these techniques designed to impress a higher power or impress God. Why is that? Or what's the contrast that he's setting up there? Well, Jesus, notice how he opens, notice how he, notice how he opens up the Lord's Prayer. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So right at the beginning, right at his the very beginning of talking about prayer and spirituality, Jesus says this, look, those, the kinds of spirituality that are based on posturing or performance is all about somehow getting power. It's all about uh, getting power. Maybe it's uh, connecting to a higher power and in some way getting what you're ultimately after, something you want, something you desire, um, something you feel like a higher power or a deity might be able to give you. 
Uh, and pr- prayers of posturing is ultimately about getting power too. It's about getting social power, about looking good in the eyes of other people um, so that your status is elevated. What Jesus is saying is my way of spirituality, my way of prayer is about giving up power. It's about knowing that you're coming before a father. It's about knowing that you are a child, dependent, uh, needy, um, desperately acknowledging your helplessness before, before the God of the universe. It's a spirituality not of power, but ultimately of trust, about leaning into the arms of a God who identifies himself as father. So let's explore that for a little bit of a moment. How does Jesus identify um, who this God is that is being revealed in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Lord's Prayer? Jesus calls him a father. That's the very first thing you need to know, that God is a father. He's not a deity to be appeased. He's not um, an employer or a boss that you need to impress. So often I think in my own life, that's how I treat prayer, that I sort of have to work up the right sounding language or the right mindset or the right positioning of my heart in order for God to sort of welcome me in. Isn't that often the case? That we feel like we somehow need to get cleaned up before we come into the presence of God. And and Jesus is saying, this is your father. This is somebody who knows you even before you ask, knows all of your mess, knows all of your dirt, all of your shame, and invites you into his presence. Jesus says to pray to our Father so that we know that he's not a a boss that we need to perform for. He's not a deity that needs to be appeased. And he's also not a genie. This is not some kind of magic formula that Jesus is introducing saying, if you pray this way, you'll get what you want. Because notice what Jesus is talking about. He opens up this prayer uh, with the first several sentences of this prayer being about a relationship. Pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is, is showing us that his way of spirituality is not about looking for results. It's not about following a particular technique. It's about being in a relationship. It's about knowing this God This father who delights in you, who loves you. But notice what he also says. He also says, uh, this this God, he's a father, but he's also a king. He's also the Lord of the world, the king of the world. Uh, That's the second thing that we're invited to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Those of you who are parents, you know that uh, you ultimately care more about who your child is becoming than about what they're receiving from you, right? You care more about the formation of their hearts and their minds and their character than you do about what little trinkets you can provide for them. And what Jesus is saying is God is the same exact way. He's a father who delights in his children and yet at the same time, there are going to be moments in your life, sometimes Years, stretches of your life following Jesus in which God says, no. 
I'm more interested in you becoming somebody else. I'm more interested in you being shaped and cultivated and grown into my kingdom rather than just getting what you're asking for. This is a father who's a king who cares more about us being shaped by his kingdom than he is about um, giving out the things that our hearts are drawn towards. Praying is also about surrender. Notice what Jesus says. When we pray, we pray that God's will would be done, that our Father's will would be done, that His kingdom would be advanced in the world. It's about surrender. It's about saying, God, I want your agenda to be accomplished in this world and in my life. It's admitting that my agenda, that my goals, that my dreams are not supreme, but His are. It's acknowledging that the default setting of my heart, which is constantly bent towards myself, is wrong is out of sync with reality. God's a father and he's a king. Um, I, in the last couple of years, uh, sort of in the chaos of parenting, I read a, a phenomenal book um, by Dan Allender, who's a, a psychologist, and he wrote, this, he wrote this wonderful little book published uh, at least over a decade ago um, called How Children Raise Parents. A really interesting title. And in this book, he says that um, every person, um, he's uniquely, uniquely talking about children, but he says every person asks two fundamental questions, and the answers to those two fundamental questions shape the entirety of their life. He says the two questions that every child asks are, am I loved and can I get my own way? Am I loved and can I get my own way? And he says that um, the answers to those questions make an imprint, make a shape on a human life that will affect that person's life for the rest of their life. What I find fascinating as I read through the Lord's Prayer and as I was meditating on this this week is that the Lord's Prayer gives us, what Jesus is doing in the Lord's Prayer is giving us an answer to those two fundamental, profoundly human questions Am I loved and can I get my own way? And in the Lord's Prayer, we find out that yes, you are loved. You have a Father who who delights in you, who you can run into His arms and be embraced by Him and pour out your heart to Him and knows and you can know that He loves you. But you also have a Father who says, no, you cannot have your own way. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I want you to be brought into my kingdom and shaped and become somebody who's totally different. I love you the way you are and all your mess. But I want you to become someone else. Become somebody who's a part of what I'm doing in the world. Part of my kingdom agenda. How do you know that you can trust uh, this? How do you know that you can trust that father? As I was reflecting on this this week, you know, I know that um, there, you know, I get called by different things in different contexts, um, uh, you know, at, at church or um, in, in the world, people might refer to me as Pastor Eric, and that's sometimes not something I usually respond to. If you say Pastor Eric uh, and try to get my attention, um, you might not always get it. I, in fact, I might uh, uh, try to avoid it and look the other way and try to go about my business, um, 
when somebody calls me Eric, you may get my attention. Um, my wife refers to me by, probably as, as spouses know, by a variety of different pet names. And sometimes those will get my attention, but the, the name that always gets my attention, whenever I hear it, it doesn't matter what time of the day, what time of the night, is Papa. When I hear Papa, everything else goes on pause and my attention is focused on the needs of my child. And what Jesus is saying is you have a father like that, that you can cry out to Papa, and he drops everything and focuses entirely on you. That's the God that we have. That's the, what Jesus is saying, this, not just the source of our spirituality, but that the very heart of the universe is a father who delights in you. So what's the way of spirituality? If the source of spirituality is a, is a, is a father who says, yes, you're loved, no, you cannot have your own way, then what's the way of spirituality? What is Jesus inviting his disciples into uh, in order to be changed, in order to have our character and our mind and our hearts formed? Well, four things. Jesus is inviting us into four things. The first is he's inviting us to recognize and affirm our physicality. Praying the Lord's Prayer shows us that we are embodied creatures Creatures of flesh and blood, creatures of material stuff. See, Christianity is not a spirituality that seeks to somehow um, ascend outside of ourselves or to put away our, our bodies or our physical desires and needs. It's not, a de- it's not designed to escape our bodies, but instead, as Eugene Peterson A pastor and writer says, prayers are the technology that God uses to work his will into our souls and bodies. What Jesus is saying by calling us to um, ask the Father for our daily bread, to lead us not into temptation, to forgive us our debts, to deliver us from evil is not some disembodied request, but actually helping us affirm and recognize that we are embodied creatures, creatures that have needs and desires and dreams. And the Father knows these things because He he created us. He designed us to express them, to have them. The Lord's Prayer invites us into an affirmation of our bodily, physical existence. So Jesus invites us to affirm and recognize our physicality. He also invites us to practice community. Praying the Lord's Prayer shows us that Christianity is not primarily a privatized, individual, ecstatic experience, but fundamentally a corporate and communal family tradition. Notice notice the personal pronouns throughout the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, not my Father. It's true, my Father, my Papa. But this this is bigger than that. It's our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus is affirming here and and showing us that one of the ways to be his disciples, one of the ways to follow him in this unique approach to spirituality is to be part of a community, 
part of, to be part of a community that prays this prayer together. To talk together to our Father as sisters and brothers of Jesus. It also, if you think about it, it also actually practically prevents us from sort of being self-absorbed in our praying, right? Um, I know personally, oftentimes my private individual prayers, because my heart is naturally bent and absorbed with myself, tend to devolve into praying about my own personal private needs. And what Jesus is saying here is, let me give you a prayer. Let me show you a way that invites you into community and actually protects you against that, um, that desire to become so self-absorbed, to be privatized and isolated, to be focused on the needs of yourself. Um, I was reading several theologians, including um, the, you know, the Reformation theologian Martin Luther and he, uh, this week, and he had some profound things to say about the unique kind of social dimension of the Lord's Prayer. That this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is something that shapes us into the kinds of people that are not only concerned about my own private temptation, my own private addictions, my own private lusts, but, and the evil that plagues my own heart, but it actually invites us to be concerned about the evil in the world, about the evil in the lives of our neighbors, about evil in the lives of our communities outside of the church. Things that harm our neighbors, things that harm our friends. It pushes us beyond just asking for my daily bread and towards the ways that Jesus may be calling you, may be calling us to be God's agents to help someone else get their daily bread. Profound social um, uh, trajectory in the Lord's Prayer. It's beautiful, it's wonderful. So Jesus invites us to affirm our physicality, to practice community, and to confess our vulnerability. There's so much here, I wish I had more time. But the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer is fundamentally an acknowledgement of our helplessness. It's the admission that we are vulnerable, that we are weak, that we are not in control. It's essentially what one author says is, it's an opportunity to spill our guts to the maker of the universe. To say, this is what's wrong with me. This is what I need. This is who you are. I love the way Jen Pollock Michael puts it. She says, um, prayer is not, this prayer, the Lord's prayer, is not a prayer of moral resolution. Lord, deliver me from evil. Lead me not into temptation. It's not a prayer of moral resolution, but a white flag of moral surrender. Confessing our vulnerability. Saying, Father, I've blown it. Father, I'm weak. Father, I'm ashamed. Father, I'm embarrassed. Father, I don't know which way to go. Admitting and acknowledging our helplessness. Confessing our vulnerability. And then fourth, Jesus says, the way of my spirituality is, is by four things, affirming our, our physicality, practicing community, confessing our vulnerability, and fourth, remembering our identity, remembering our identity. The Lord's prayer shapes us 
and shapes our identities and gives us meaning, significance, and purpose as children of a father. We're claimed, we're owned, we're loved by the greatest person in the whole world. Um, One of, being a parent has allowed me the opportunity to, um, to watch oftentimes on repeat um, some of the um, some of the films and stories that I grew up with as a child, um, you know, we we'll, we we will watch Lion King three times in a day uh, if that's what my son wants to do. Uh, one of my favorites is Toy Story, right? One of the most beloved um, children's films of all time. And there's a there's a beautiful moment in Toy Story. Those of you who are familiar with it, um, in which um, Buzz Lightyear and, and Woody have been trapped in um, in Sid's room, and Sid is this dysfunctional, abusive child uh, who's got some in, in really incre- he needs pastoral counseling to say the least. Uh, and they're trapped. Buzz is trapped in Sid's um, room, and right if you know the story, Buzz he's convinced that he's a space ranger. Uh, he's convinced that he is called to great, amazing things. And um, th- he, as he's trapped in Sid's room, he sees on the television a commercial for a Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger action figure. And he has this sort of moment, it's like this epiphany, uh, in which he recognizes, and that sort of the, the, the worst part of it is, at the very end of the commercial, it says, uh, you know, this is not a flying toy if you know the story, he's sort of been boasting in his ability to fly this, uh, for the entire time. And he sort of comes to this realization that he's nothing, that he's made in Taiwan, uh, that he's, he has, he has, he's a toy. He's not a space ranger. And there's this beautiful moment in which uh, Woody reminds him, reminds him that being a toy is a lot better than being a space ranger. And in this wonderful moment, Buzz looks down at the bottom of his foot where Andy, his owner, had inscribed his name in permanent marker, Andy. Uh, And the entire trajectory, the entire narrative of the story changes. And Buzz gets freed, rescues Woody, saves the day. Being a toy is a lot better than being a space ranger. Do you know you're owned? Do you know you're claimed? Do you know you're a possession Do you know you're a child of our Father in heaven? He delights in you. Being a toy is way better than being a space ranger. How do you know that in this way of discipleship, in this way of spirituality, how do you know that God is going to be with you through it all? Through the the thick, through the thin, how do you know that this Father is going to stick near you in all your vulnerability, in all your weakness, in all your sin, in all your shame, how do you know that this father is going to stick near you? I read um, several months ago a story of Brian Martin. Brian Martin's a dad, and his daughter Brenna recently graduated uh, high school. And uh, on sort of graduation day at one of her graduation parties, he, he hands her a gift. She unwraps it and finds out that it's um, Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go. This is an 18-year-old girl getting for her graduation gift from her dad, a Dr. Seuss book. Um, Thanks, Dad. She sort of looks at him 
curiously, what is this, opens the book and finds out that on the very first page is a letter from her kindergarten teacher uh, documenting all of the things that, she, that this teacher loved about Brenna. Um, all of the things that she loved about Brenna. And then she turns the page and turns the next page and another letter, uh, this time from um, someone who was involved with one of her sports as a, as, a grade school, as, as a grade school girl. And throughout the whole book, what her dad had done is gone to all of the people who were influential for the last 15 years of Brenna's life, all of the people who were influential in her life, and they had all written a, a particular letter about how they appreciated Brenna, about how she was sharp and full of wit and funny and uh, full of life. Uh, and it just brought tears to this girl's eyes because she knew that this was a gift that her father had been planning for the last 15 years and that every step of the way her dad was with her, marking her progress, following right beside her, recording, documenting all of her, all of the beautiful um, ways in which she was coming into adulthood. How do you know that you have a father who's going to be with you every step of the way. It's because the person who's instructing us on spirituality has been in the exact place that you are, Jesus. Jesus is the key to this kind of spirituality. He's key to the kind of flourishing life that he's calling his disciples to in the Sermon on the Mount. Everything that he's instructing us on Prayer, fasting, forgiveness, anger. He has been in our shoes. Let me show you how. Jesus, one, if you read through the, the accounts of the Gospels, it's, it's extraordinary. Jesus models a life of prayer that is, is attractive, is compelling, is something that our, uh, our distracted and connected society often needs, right? Jesus Often through the Gospels, you read Matthew 14, he disconnects, he detaches, he devotes time to his Father. And if the Son of God needed that, if the Son of God, the creator of the world, needed that kind of intimacy, that kind of connection with his Father in prayer, don't you think we need it? Jesus models a life of prayer, a beautiful life of prayer, a compelling life of prayer, but he's also, he's also this, he's what I'm calling the message behind the Lord's prayer. See, I think before we can take this prayer on our lips, we need to know that the Lord's prayer, this prayer in Matthew 6, was, was Jesus' life. He lived this prayer. Before we can answer back to God, that's what Eugene Peterson calls prayer. He says that prayer fundamentally is answering back to God. Before we can answer back to God, we need to know how God has initiated, has communicated to us through the Lord's Prayer in the life of His Son. What do I mean? Think about Jesus' life. Think about His story. Think about His vocation. Um, when, he, when He asks us to pray, Our Father, it's Jesus who at the end of John's Gospel says that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He's the one who reveals the heart of the Father. Hallowed be your name. Jesus is the one who, towards the end of his life, as he's praying the great high priestly prayer, says, Father, I have glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. I've hallowed your name. I've made your name famous 
in my life, in my calling, in my vocation. Your kingdom come. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in in his ministry life in Matthew's gospel is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus invites us to pray that the kingdom would come and in his own life and ministry inaugurated it, gave birth to it, Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, resisted the temptation to make bread for himself in the wilderness. Throughout his life, he fed the poor. He gave bread to the hungry. In his last night on earth, he gave his disciples a supper, a meal that showed that he ultimately was the bread that came down from heaven, the bread of life. Forgive us our debts. Jesus is the one who came to forgive sins. He came to take upon himself the sin debt of the world and to pay it in full. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is the one who was deliberately led into the desert to be tested by Satan, who emerged victorious out of that testing, and who on the cross absorbed in his own body on the cross all of the evil that plague this world and plague our own hearts in order to dispel and disarm the powers of evil. This prayer is all about the life of Jesus. It's all about the message of Jesus. So before you take that prayer on your lips, know that Jesus lived this prayer for you. That's the gospel. And it gets better. Jesus is the mediator. Hebrews 7 says, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you see? It's not just that Jesus' life was lived for you, and now he's doing his own thing. Hebrews says he always lives, he ever lives. He orients his entire life around praying for you before his Father. That means he's standing before the Father right now saying, Father, forgive them. Father, bless them. Father, encourage her. Father, rescue him. Do you see that? That Jesus is that kind of intercessor. He is that kind of mediator. You are at the center of his existence. He's praying for you even now. When you see that, when you know that, you know that your prayers will be clothed and formed by the kinds of prayers that Jesus is praying for you even now. Jesus didn't just model prayer. He is the message of the Lord's Prayer. And he is that great mediator who is praying for you even at this moment. Let that reality sink into your hearts. And you'll know the key to the kind of spirituality that Jesus is inviting you into. Let's pray. Father, help us become people of prayer. Lord, there are, I'm sure there are some here today, Father, who don't know what we believe about you or about prayer. We have unanswered questions, unanswered prayers, Father. Lord, help us to pray these words in the Lord's Prayer, not because we believe them, but because we want them to be true. We want them to be true in the world. We want them to be true in our hearts and in our lives. 
Father, many of us here do believe these words. We've grown up praying them on countless occasions, but we've not allowed the revolutionary message of this prayer into our hearts. So, Father, we pray for prayer. We pray for the intimacy and the vulnerability and the community of what you've invited us into. We pray for more of it. And we thank you for your Son who always lives to pray for us and to help us to pray for ourselves. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.